Well, good morning, family. I don't have to ask twice, y'all. It's like I never even was gone. Y'all are beautiful. <laughs> well, good morning. I am Sean. I'm the associate pastor here at 116 Bible Church, Watauga. And I am so blessed, beyond blessed, to be here with you, worshiping and serving the one true and living God today. Um, I know for a fact that you guys are full of grace, so I'm going to do something that uh, you are not supposed to do when you are speaking publicly. I'm going to admit to you that it's been a while and I'm a little nervous, okay? <laughs> so please uh, bear with me and have a little grace. Um, but now that that's out of the way, I have to warn you, friends, family, I love you, but vacation time's over and we're going to be in the book of First Samuel, picking up where we left off. So we're going to be in First Samuel, uh, chapter 18. Uh, you can turn in your copy, uh, whether physical or digital, up to you. First Samuel chapter 18. We'll, beginning in, we'll be beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read through verse 9, um, but we're going to get as far as we get. I'm not going to keep you here until lunch tomorrow, I promise. Uh, I'll stop at a reasonable hour sometime around dinner. So 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, if you have found it and you are able, I do ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. One last time, that is 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. I'll be reading in the New American Standard Bible. Um, you are welcome, of course, to follow along in whichever translation you prefer. And the word of God says, Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for your word. God, for the blessing that your word is. Lord, for the grace that your word truly is to your people. Lord, that you have not abandoned us to ourselves and to our own devices in our sin and our death and our filth, Lord, but that you have instead condescended to your people in the form of the written word and in the form of the word incarnate your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we have been blessed this morning, Father, to 
have been born again by the Spirit through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray, uh, we thank you also for the blessing to open your word in a language that we understand and to read it. Lord, and to by your Spirit comprehend that which you have for your people. And we ask that by your Spirit you would lead us this morning into all truth that is contained in the very words that we have read. Lord, and that your Spirit would light the way and all that is all that is true, all that is accurate, Lord, that we come to understand this morning, your Spirit would apply to us and make us holy as you are holy. Bless this time together, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so, if you uh, have never... Uh, been here when I've been preaching. I like to start with a little review. It's been a while. Uh, I promise I'm not going to do a review of the full 17 chapters that came before. We're just going to hit some highlights, okay? So, no biggie. Uh, not going to spend 30 minutes on this review. Um, but what have we seen so far in the book of First Samuel? Well, we were introduced to a couple who had trouble uh, having children. God blessed them with a child named Samuel, and that's Samuel. Uh, was then turned over to serve in the presence of the Lord, and he grew up, and he uh, prospered, and he actually became essentially the last judge of Israel. And it fell on him the responsibility of anointing the first king of Israel that the people were asking for. And remember, the people asked for a king not for good reasons. They didn't ask for a king so that they could obey God better. They didn't ask for a king so that they could be holy as God is holy. They didn't ask for a king so that they could better reflect his light to the surrounding nations, thereby drawing people to him. No, they asked for a king so that they could be like all the other nations around them. That was their request. That was the reason they asked for a king. Samuel didn't like it. God told him to do it anyways. So he did. And God gave them the king that, he, that they thought they wanted. God gave them Saul. Saul was not without his merits. He had some strengths. Um, God was uh, started out strong military leader. Um, but as time progressed, we see that gradually um, you need a lot more in a king. Um, and that not only that, all of the warnings that the people had from back in the book of Deuteronomy um, were coming true because of the king that they had chosen, the, king that they, the kind of king they had wanted. And we see a little bit of that even in the passage we read today. So after a couple of uh, monumental um, failures in the area of obedience, Samuel warned Saul that the kingdom was going to be ripped from him and given to his neighbor, who was better than him. And then we are introduced to a little shepherd boy named David. And this little boy... He is a spitfire, and he is on fire for the Lord. Mm -hmm. This little guy spends all day out with the sheep, and he's wrestling bears. He's wrestling lions and wolves. He's taking care of business to protect his sheep. And God reveals to Samuel, that's the kind of man that needs to lead by people. And so, in a private ceremony, David is anointed the king of Israel. The next king of Israel. And uh, this 
news, as far as we know, doesn't go out. Uh, nobody who isn't there, which is Samuel and David's family, is made privy to the information. Um, but then we see David do a couple of amazing things. We see, uh, most recently, we see David taking on Goliath, a giant of a man. Uh, who has scared every other individual in all of Israel's army. So much so that they are hiding in their tents, just hoping that he doesn't come any closer and pick one of them. And David, on an errand for his father, he hears the blasphemies being spoken by this giant, this Philistine. And he stands up and he says, if no one else will go out and fight him, I will. Because I know I don't go alone. And so he goes out there and by the grace of God, who worked through a sling and a stone, he took down the giant. And uh, as we see in the closing uh, verses of the preceding chapter that he finds favor in the eyes of Saul. And that brings us to our passage this morning. So without any further ado, let's dive right in. Verse 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul, he being David, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Your translation may say as his own soul or as his own life. Either one is fine. They're all good translations. The point here is that after this episode with uh, David versus Goliath, a story we've, we've all heard since we were knee-high to a grasshopper, um, that story that we've all heard so many times, after this incident, we see an example here, or we see a friendship between David and Jonathan. We see such a strong friendship that the Bible describes it as their, as Jonathan's soul was knit to him. Uh, we, see this, uh, we see this kind of language elsewhere, particularly in Genesis, um, when after having lost one of his sons, Jacob describes his love for his remaining son from that wife, Benjamin. He says his soul is knit to the life of his son, Benjamin. So the idea here is that my goodness, my well-being, my joy is caught up in this individual. And I cannot bear to be separated. The idea here is close familial love. This kind of love that... Goodness... I've been a parent for five minutes, but if you've been a parent for at least five minutes, you know your soul is knit to your child. And this is the kind of love we see between Jonathan and David, is this, this love of togetherness, this love of oneness. This love that that is just quite frankly goes beyond expression. Now, you will have, you may have heard some individuals use this and reinterpret this to say something the text does not say. To suggest that there was something untoward going on 
between David and Jonathan. That's not just disgusting. That's blasphemy. That's heresy. That is twisting scripture to say what you want it to say to justify your sin. Or to justify the sin of somebody you love. The scripture nowhere indicates anything romantic happening between David and Jonathan. Amen. The scripture instead is striving to bring home the point that David and Jonathan were kindred spirits. They were men of like mind and ambition. We saw previously in another chapter Jonathan's own courageous feats, did we not? We saw his own essentially black ops mission into Philistine territory where he stood up just him and his armor bearer side by side against the camp. So we're not seeing here something not just disgusting, but utterly sinful. What we're seeing here instead is something truly remarkable. God is saying, it's not that Jonathan isn't qualified. It's that David has been chosen. And despite that, a friendship blossoms between these two similar individuals who put God, fear of God, the fear of God that Brother Ivan just worked so hard to help us understand correctly, who put the fear of God above all else, even above family ties and inheritance. One of God's biggest graces to his people, one of his biggest common graces, I think, is friendship. It is so hard to get through this life without friends. It is, quite frankly, almost impossible to get through this life without friends. And if you manage to, you're going to come out on the other side a little weird. We're just going to be honest here. But friendship is a gift and a grace of God. So beautiful. So blessed. And yet so taken for granted. That we do not often treat our friends the way we should. We often quite frankly take them for granted. And God is showing us here that no friendship, friendship is a gift. This is something God graces not just his children with, but in his common grace has given to all people. He's given us the ability to form these bonds, these friendships. But friendship, like marriage, like love, finds its truest expression finds its richest and deepest realities when founded in Christ. When founded in God himself, the giver of the gift. 
So all friendships based in Christ, based on God, show us true, true reality of friendship. And this, these, this gift of friendship is something we should cherish and something we should hold on to and treasure. So much so that it reflects in the way we treat our friends. And our friendships should be merely images that point to our other relationships. That point to, if we treat our friends the way we should, how good do they treat their spouse? How good do they treat their kids? How good do they treat their parents, their siblings? And if they take that kind of care in their friendships, what kind of care do they put into their relationship with God? Because God puts all that care and more into his relationship with you. Verse 2. Saul took him, David, that day and did not let him return to his father's house anymore. This, uh, this verse points us back to the reality that essentially before this time, David was kind of kind of part-time, kind of part-time in it in uh, Saul's army or in Saul's certain the service of Saul. Um, if you remember earlier, he was, he was drafted to play the mute, the harp. Um, when Saul was overcome, in his uh, uh, in his fits of rage and depression, and uh, when when the, the evil spirit of the Lord tormented him, and uh, so he'd been drafted to come in and to play the heart for the king when he was under when he was going through one of those uh, those spells and to make him feel better through music. And so we see here up until this point, David's kind of part time in it here, going back and forth between. Uh, the court of Saul and his father's house and his responsibilities there. And we see here, after the incident with Goliath, David is essentially drafted full-time into the service of Saul. And we see that even Saul, who we'll see a little later, has some serious problems, but even Saul, following this episode, with Goliath, sees something in David that he wants to keep around. Sees something in David that he wants around him at all times. But we also see here, really, like we mentioned earlier, kind of a fulfillment of the dangers of wanting the wrong kind of king. Samuel warned, Deuteronomy warned, he will take your sons the best of your sons, for himself, for his armies, for his guard, for his own service. And we're seeing here that that's exactly what Saul is doing. He is taking for himself the best of Israel that we see here in David, and he is using it for himself. Because, yes, there's something about David, there's something going on in David. We know what it is. The Lord is with David. Saul sees something that he just wants around him. And I think there's something in Saul who at this point the Spirit of God has departed from and has landed on this little shepherd boy 
and he sees and he recognizes that there's a part of him that recognizes he has what I'm missing. He has what I no longer have. I need him around. That's kind of what it is to be a Christian sometimes, is it not? Sometimes the presence of God is rests so heavily on, on you and your job or um, wherever you go as you go out into the world. And God oftentimes blesses what his children do. So much so that those who do not belong to God see it. And they don't quite know what it is, but they want those benefits. They want that around them so they can get a little bit of that, a little bit of the wash from the limelight. They want, they want just a little bit of what you got going on. That's not always the case. I mean, the Bible tells us often that the Christian road is a hard travel road. Sometimes it pleases God to take from his children the things we think we need. To show us that, as a matter of fact, you don't need all the things you think you need. You need him and nothing else. But sometimes he is pleased to bless us in, in our areas of striving. And in the efforts that we put in, and in the things that we do so that we can prosper to some degree. And when that happens, the world sees that, and they want those benefits. They don't want God. They want the benefits of being around somebody who has God. So Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, your translation may say tunic, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So what we're seeing here is David is... David because of the work that God, the presence of God in his life and the, and the fruit that that is bringing about, we're seeing here that David is growing in popularity. David is finding favor with Saul, with Jonathan, with those in the king's house. And we'll see later he's finding favor with, with the people of Israel and Judah. We're seeing here that David, David's star is rising. And Jonathan, who I, I think I can safely say is uh, probably more spiritually attuned at this point than his father, notices that this is the guy. This is the neighbor. It's David. It's my friend. And so in that, he makes a covenant with him. And Jonathan strips himself of his robe and his armor slash tunic, and his sword and his bow and his belt. 
he gives to David all of the trappings, all of his articles that signify him as the crown prince. And he gives them over to David. Meaning what? He is abdicating his right to the throne, any legal right he has, and he is giving it to David. Jonathan sees what is going on at a level that his father does not quite understand yet. Jonathan has probably heard by this point the prophecy from Samuel. The, the prophecy in which the kingdom would be torn from Saul and given to his neighbor. And Jonathan recognizes David as that neighbor. And in an act of self-sacrifice, gives up any claim he has and gives it over to David. I can't help but read this and see Jesus. I can't help but read this and see that the Son of God who considered equality God with God not a thing to be grasped or held onto firmly and tenaciously, but instead poured himself out and emptied himself for the sake of his friends. I cannot see, I cannot help but see Jesus. I cannot help but see a pointer to the gospel whereby the second person of the triune God concentrated himself and took on himself the form of a man and wore that from birth to the cross to the tomb. I cannot help but see that. I cannot help but see Christ himself emptying himself for my benefit. And if you are in Christ for your benefit, the Son of God, the Crown Prince, giving up for a time the benefits for me. Brother and sister, that should drive us to our knees. That should drive us not to our knees, but to our faces. And we should be able to say nothing else other than holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The truth of the gospel is a truth that we need to be reminded of every day. And every day, it should shatter and destroy and annihilate any lofty opinions we've built up of ourselves. And should remind us of what our sin cost. Not in this disgusting, 
bumper sticker, you may not like like me, but Jesus thinks I'm to die for prideful, gross attitude. But with the humble realization that my sin was so despicable and was so offensive that the blood of the precious Son of God is the only thing that could fix it. He poured himself out. He emptied himself for you. For you, brother and sister. And we can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. But say, thank you. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. Your translation may say acted wisely. He did good and it paid off. And Saul set him over the men of war and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. There is something that still rings so true. That when the Lord raises up a righteous man, the people rejoice. But the flip side is also true. When the Lord tears down a wicked ruler, the righteous rejoice. And we see here the establishing of David in the court of Saul, not simply as a heart player, not simply as as the king's little gopher boy who comes in and plays the music when he's a little sad. But we see here somebody who's being established with political and military power. God is setting David up. God is establishing David and putting him in a place not to where he could simply just see or be trained by looking at what's going on around him, but he can actually take part. He can actually be involved and get hands-on on the job training for the day the Lord hands the kingdom over. God is delivering on his promise. God is fulfilling his anointing. And brother and sister, I promise you, that good work that he has begun in you, he's going to finish. He's going to bring it to completion. So that you're not going to end up being a halfway sanctified Christian. You're not going to be somebody who's mostly holy, but still just a little bit dead. You're going to be somebody who is fully and completely sanctified glorified and who dwells in his presence forever and ever. God has promised it. He has started the work and he's going to finish it. I promise you. He has delivered on every promise before. He's going to deliver on that one. So you can walk through this life knowing that yes, some days are going to hurt. Some days are 
going to just be terrible. Some days are going to feel like your heart is being ripped to pieces again and again and again. Some days it's going to take everything in you, maybe just to get out of bed. Someday, all of that, brother and sister, you're going to be able to look back on and say, it was worth it, it was worth it, it was worth it, it was worth it. Every single one. Every single heartache, every single tear, every single broken heart. Every single funeral. Every single hospital visit. You're going to be able to look back and say, thank you, God, for not wasting it. It was worth it. Thank you for fulfilling your promise. That is his promise to you that he will finish it and that you'll be able to look back and you'll be able to see his hand in absolutely everything. I don't know if you know this. Brother and sister, my wife and I tried for five years to get pregnant. To have a child. You know how many times we died every month with every negative pregnancy test? You know how many times we were told, maybe it's just not going to happen? You know how many times we thought about, maybe it's just the pain wasn't worth it? Don't turn around and look at her, because you'll embarrass her. <laughs> but my wife is in the back holding our baby boy. And my friends, that is just a sliver. That's just a fraction. That is just a minute and inconceivably small speck of the joy, of the happiness, of the blessedness that awaits you on the next side of glory. It is so small. But I can look back and I can say, God, thank you. Thank you for being at work. Thank you for preparing me in every heartbreak. And you'll be able to say, thank you, God, for preparing me in every bad day, in every bad, in every bad moment, in every broken heart, in every shed tear. You'll be able to say, thank you, God. Because your joy will be unspeakable. Because your joy is Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for that joy unspeakable. We thank you so much that every day we get little glimpses into the eternal joy that awaits us in Christ. So God, I pray that there, there is any here in this room right now who is outside of Christ, who is outside of that joy. God, bring them in. Bring them in, God. Break their hearts. Break their wills. 
break their knees if you have to, but bring them in. Lord, and as your people, make us more like Christ every day so that when we reach you in glory, whether through death or through your son's return, our first 10,000 years isn't spent in shell shock, but is instead spent in pure and adulterated worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand and join us as we.